0: So let's set up the scene here again. Here's Moses, 120 years old. In just a few days, he's going to go up into the mountain and die. He is giving the last of the last of the instructions to the people of God. He is releasing the reins by which he has been guiding these people for 40 years and turning them over now to Joshua. But Moses is rehearsing for the children of Israel, again, the conditions by which they will enjoy this land, the conditions upon which God's blessings were predicated. For the children of Israel had a covenant relationship with God that revolved around the law and around their obedience to the law. And the covenant that God established with the nation of Israel was that they do them and they shall live by them. In other words, it was a covenant that was established in their doing and keeping of the law of God. Now, Moses even predicted, and we'll get into that here in a moment, their failure to keep the law. God knew that they wouldn't be able to keep it, and the failure has been predicted along with the resulted tragedies. And curses that would come upon them for their failure now God has established a new covenant with man that is no longer based upon the law and the keeping of the law so when Jesus took the cup with his disciples and he gave them the cup he said this is a new covenant that is in my blood which is shed for the remission of sin so, the new covenant that God has established with man is through Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ. So, that in this new covenant, it is in my believing in that work of Jesus Christ on my behalf by which I can now enjoy all the blessings of God. So, I experience the blessings of God, of God's grace upon my life. I experience all all these wonderful things from God, not because I'm so good and have kept so perfectly the law of God, but because I have now a new covenant relationship with God. It is through Jesus Christ and his finished work. And I simply believe in that finished work of Christ and God imputes my faith for righteousness and blesses me. Now, if I were still living under the law, I would be just as cursed as the children of Israel became because the law could make nothing righteous. It only pointed to a better covenant that was to come. So in Deuteronomy, we have the rehearsal of the covenant and the establishing of the covenant, whereby you come into the land, you obey these things, and over and over, You'll notice he is pointing out obedience to the commands, obedience to the statutes, obedience, obedience, obedience. And if you obey, then this blessing will be yours. You'll be blessed, blessed, and blessed. But if you disobey, then you'll be cursed. And I think there are more curses than there are blessings. Now, I thank God that I can relate to God in the new covenant. In Jesus Christ and so I have been blessed and am blessed by God not for any righteousness that I have done or not for any righteousness that I have because that is not the basis by which I am relating to God right now I'm relating in that new covenant I'm simply believing in Jesus Christ to wash me and cleanse me of all my sins And to work in me his work of love as I submit my life to him. That he might give to me the power and the capacity to live a life that is pleasing unto the Father. So as we get into chapter 26, he first of all speaks to them that when you come into the land and you begin to gather the fruit of the land, the first fruits of the land. Now, they were really not to gather anything for themselves until the third year. They were to plant, but just let it go until the third year, and then they were to begin to reap. But when you gather together your harvest, then you are to bring before the Lord, the first of all the fruit of the earth, which you shall bring in your land of which the Lord has given you. And you shall put it in a basket, and shall go to the place of which the Lord your God will choose to place his name. And you are to go in there, and you are to profess that day unto the Lord your God that I am come into the country which the Lord swore to my fathers. Verses 2 and 3, chapter 26. And so you are now to bring the first fruits of the land. You are to give them to God, and you are to confess that you are now in the land that God has promised. The acknowledgement of the faithfulness of God to keep his promise, because God had promised to Abraham that he would give him this land. So now you're in the land. Bring the first fruits to God, and so profess, make the confession that God did keep his promise. Then interestingly in verse five, and you shall speak and say before the Lord God, a Syrian ready to perish was my father. He went down to Egypt and sojourned there with a few and became a nation great and mighty and populous. Verse five. And so he was speaking of Jacob here calling him Assyrian, who went down to Egypt with just a few. Yet while in Egypt, in that 400-year period of time, God made them a great nation. And God brought them out, spoiling the Egyptians. And you are to rehearse, actually, God's great work in bringing you out and bringing you into the land that flows with milk and honey, out of the bondage of Egypt into the blessings of God. And now I bring the first fruits unto God of this glorious land that He has given to us. And in verse 11, you shall rejoice in every good thing in which the Lord your God has given unto you and unto your house, you and the Levites and the stranger living among you. Again, here is a commandment where God is commanding them to rejoice. God wants a happy people, and God's people should be a happy people. We should be the happiest people on the face of the earth. And what kind of a witness is it to to God? If his people are always depressed and down and sour, God wants you to be a rejoicing people. When you have made an end of the tithing, all the tithes of your increase in the third year, verse 12, which is the year of tithing, you've given it to the Levites. You shall say to the Lord before the Lord your God, I have brought away the howl of things out of my house and give them to the Levites. The stranger, fatherless, the widow, I have not transgressed. The commandments neither have I forgotten them I have not eaten thereof in my mourning, neither have I taken away anything thereof for any unclean use nor given any for the dead and so he goes on with this again acknowledgement that God has brought them into the land that flows with milk and honey and you must acknowledge the Lord this day to be your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments, and to hearken unto his voice. Verse 17. All right. Again, at this point, you are to swear that God is your God. And actually that Yehovah is your God to walk in his ways and to keep the commandments And for the Lord has affirmed you this day to be his peculiar people who are obeying actually his commandments and to make you high above all nations which he has made in praise and in name and in honor. Verse 19, chapter 27. Mm -hmm. In chapter 27, when you come into the land, you are to take these stones and you are to build a tower and you are to plaster it. And then you are to write on the plaster of the tower the words of the law when you pass over into the land that God has given to you. Therefore it shall be, when you have gone over Jordan, verse 4, that you shall set up these stones which I command you this day in Mount Ebal, and you shall plaster them with plaster, and there shall you build an altar unto the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not lift up any iron tool upon them. You shall build the altar of the Lord your God of whole stones, and you will offer burnt offerings on it, To the Lord your God and you shall offer peace offerings and you will eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God and you will write upon the stones all the words of this law very plainly verses 4 through 8 and so they were to build this altar but they were not to carve the stones they were not to cut the stones they were to just use whole stones no tool was to come upon them. Now, when God first commanded the building of altars, they were to be first just built out of earth. It was interesting that when they made a place of worship for God, God's desire that that place that they make for the worship of God be simple and natural. God didn't want them building ornate places of worship. Why? Because when you come into an ornate place of worship, your mind is drawn to the beautifulness, the ornateness of the place. And you begin to glory in its architecture or in the fine carvings or in the beauty of the place itself. But God wants you to, when you come in to worship Him, not to be distracted. To stand in awe of the gorgeous architecture or whatever, but that your place of worship just be a simple place that doesn't attract attention to itself, but allows you to give your full attention unto the Lord to worship him. And those stones, don't carve them, don't cut them out, just smooth them out, just whole stones to make the altar. Then on Mount Ebal, to place these stones in a pile, to plaster the pile and to ride upon the plaster, the law of God, there on Mount Ebal, then to bring burnt offerings and peace offerings. Now, you remember your lessons out of Leviticus. You will remember that the burnt offerings were the offerings of consecration. It is the symbolizing of the consecrating of my life to God. The peace offerings were the offerings of communion, my desire to fellowship with God and to commune with God. And so the two offerings, the burnt offering, that is the consecration, and then the peace offering, communion with God. Now, up on top of Mount Gerizim, certain of the tribes were to stand and to pronounce the blessings upon the people. And on Mount Ebal, other tribes were to stand and pronounce the curses. Now, on Mount Gerizim, verse 12, to bless the people, the tribe of Simeon and Levi and Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. On Mount Ebal, to curse the people, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall speak and say to all the men of Israel with a loud voice, verses 12 and 13. So, here is this picture. When you are in the valley... When you're in the valley of Shechem, you have on your left side, Mount Gerizim, and it raises probably about 2,000 feet above the valley. And on the right-hand side, you have Mount Ebal, raising to about 2,000 feet above the valley. So here you have the valley of the area of Shechem, with these two mountains on either side. So the vast multitude of Israel standing in this valley, and up on the top of Mount Gerizim, these men from these tribes, that we read, are calling out the blessings of God that shall come upon you for obedience and on the other side of on Mount Ebal if you are in the valley you are hearing these guys crying the curses for those that disobey the laws of God and so it must have been a very awesome experience one that would really implant itself quite deeply in your in your mind as you realized the blessings and the cursings. As God said, I have said before you today a blessing and a curse, a blessing if you obey and a curse if you disobey. So these are the curses that were then pronounced. Cursed be the man that makes any graven image or molten image an abomination unto the Lord the work of the hands of the craftsman and puts it in a secret place and all the congregation will answer and say, amen. Verse 15. So after each one of these curses, they would cry out. So be it. Amen. You know, just accepting the judgment. So be it. And so the various curses that were cried out from this area and the people acknowledging the righteousness of the curses, as you go through the remainder of chapter 27. Now, as we come into chapter 28, it shall come to pass if you shall hearken diligently. So you see the condition here. If you hearken diligently under the voice of the Lord your God, to observe and do all his commandments, verse 1. You get this over and over again because this was the condition of the covenant. If you observe and do, whereby they could have this land and dwell there, this was the condition of God's blessing. It was the obedience to the commandments of God. That God will set you on, a high, on high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings will come on to you and overtake you if you will hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God blessed will you be in the city and blessed will you be in the field blessed shall be the fruit of your body and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle the increase of your cows your flocks and your sheep blessed will be your basket and your store. You'll be blessed when you come in and you'll be blessed when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies that rise up against you to be smitten before your face. They will come out against you one way and flee from you seven ways. The Lord shall command the blessing upon you in your storehouses and in all that you set your hand to do. The Lord shall bless your land, which he gives to you. He shall establish you a holy people unto himself. And all people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the the Lord, Jehovah. And they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord, Jehovah, will make you a plenteous of goods in the fruit of your body, and in the fruit of your cattle. The Lord shall open his good treasure, the heaven to give you rain unto the land in his season. You shall lend it unto many nations, and not borrow, and the Lord shall make you the head and not the tail. If that you hearken unto the commandments of the Lord your God, to observe and to do them, and shall not go aside from keeping these commandments, verses 1 through 14. Now again, all the blessings that God is promising to them, conditions upon their keeping the commandments of God and doing them. But it will come to pass, if you will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God, to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes, then cursed shall you be in the city and in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your store. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the fruit of the land. Cursed the increase of the cows, the flocks and the sheep. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed when you go out. The Lord shall make the pestilence to cleave unto you and the Lord will smite you with consumption. And the heavens that are over you shall be brass, and the earth shall be like iron and drought. Verse 25. The Lord shall cause you to be smitten before your enemies, and you shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them, and will be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. And your carcass will be meat for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and no man shall take them away the lord will smite you with the botch of egypt and with the emeralds, and with the scab and with the itch therefore you cannot be healed the lord will smite you with madness and blindness to the astonishment of heart and you shall grope at noonday verses 15 through 19 21 through 23 and 25 through 29. And God goes on to tell them the curses that will come upon them if they turn away from God and begin to worship and serve other gods, the gods of the land. That is what's going to happen. Now, we are dealing with a basic law of God, and it is important that we recognize this. The law of God is expressed in another verse of scripture, which declares in Proverbs 14.34, righteousness exalts a nation but sin is a reproach to any people. If a nation will establish itself as a righteous nation, if a nation will place God at the center of its national life, recognizing and acknowledging God, that nation will be blessed of God abundantly. That was exactly what our founding fathers had in mind when they established this, the United States of America. They had in their minds to establish a nation that would guarantee the religious freedoms. A nation, though, that honored God in the heart and in the life of the nation itself. And it was their purpose to keep the people aware of the dependency upon God. And because our nation was thus established, our nation was greatly blessed of God. America, America, God shed his grace on thee. And our nation grew strong and powerful among the nations of the earth. And we today, living in this nation, are enjoying the benefits that have come to this nation because of the wisdom of the founding fathers in founding a nation with God at the heart and the center, even imprinting on our coins, in God we trust trying to bring the people a national consciousness of the need of God and the centrality of God in the national life. And the nation did become strong. The nation did become prosperous. But now in our prosperity, we have men in the Supreme Court and women and throughout our whole governmental processes who do not believe that God should be part of the nation. These men are men who are controlled by the humanistic philosophies, whose God is materialism. And because they are humanists, they have sought to put God out of the national consciousness. These humanists not only control our government, they control the major mass media in the United States. You cannot buy time on the major networks for religious broadcasting because they are controlled by humanists. They don't want anything that would cause people to begin to have a national consciousness of God. They have begun their ruling whereby they have ruled prayer out of the public school, the Bible out of the public schools, and now the celebration of Christmas out of the public schools except only in a secular sense. I don't think I need to tell you that our nation is in a very precarious position tonight. And a strong, great, powerful nation we are deteriorating very, very rapidly. For the very things that made us strong, we are trying to rule them out of our national life. And even as God blessed our nation, because we were willing to put God at the center of our national life, even as we have chosen now to rule God out of our national life, we are beginning to experience the curses and they are going to go to extremes. Our nation is rapidly going downhill and we are faced with insurmountable kinds of problems. And we see the deterioration of this nation because we have sought by legislature, by court rulings, to rule God out of our national life. Our nation was strong because it was founded upon godly principles, and it is becoming weak as we seek to rule God out. Now, the whole sad thing about this is Here we are, enjoying the benefits of our forefathers who had enough foresight to make the Constitution guarantee religious freedoms, and it gave us the right for all of these things. You see, according to the ruling to the Supreme Court, students who are gay that have a right to meet on campus, that's fine, to have a room furnished for their meetings, that's great, so that they can advocate and discuss Gay life, fine, pass out literature and so forth advocating that particular life. They have a court ruling, a Supreme Court ruling that gives them that privilege. Fine, however, that same Supreme Court ruled that children do not repeat, do not have a right to meet together in a public school building and study or talk about the Bible even if they meet there at their own choice. And yet we still have printed on our coins, in God we trust. How hypocritical can a nation be? Whenever there is a national emergency, the president says, pray, (laughs) as long as you're not in a school building. Now there is just a basic principle here involved. When a nation will follow God, the nation will be blessed. When a nation turns from God, that nation is going to be cursed. And I am praying that God will bring us to a national revival. I think that is the only hope for this nation. It's a real revival that will cause the people to turn back to God and really elect legislators and presidents that will appoint supreme court and court positions to godly people. To men who have a consciousness of God, who fear God, who realize that they are not the final judge, but one day that they are going to stand before the judge to give an account of themselves. And men who have a sense of accountability. If a man doesn't believe in God, he has no sense of accountability. He becomes the authority within himself. And whenever a man becomes an authority within himself, You have anarchy, and you have anarchy even within the court system today as they become authorities within themselves to determine what the law says. And if a man has no fear of God within his heart, how can you hope to have righteous judgment? Oh, may God help us as Christians to get up off our couches and they become active in the sponsoring of godly men for public office and women. I feel we have an obligation to do so. Or else we have no right to sit back and cry when the whole thing goes down the tube. So God pronounces the curses that are going to come. And he goes on in verse 37. He tells them that they shall become that they will be driven into other nations and they shall become an astonishment, a proverb and a byword among all nations, whither the Lord leads you. Verse 37. Now it's interesting to see that has happened to the Jew in being driven into the other nations, they became a byword and it seems like they were hated sometimes even without cause by people. Their There are people today who have very strong anti-semitic feelings and the term jew almost becomes a dirty term a byword a curse because they disobeyed the commandments of god verse 45 moreover all them all the curses shall come upon you in other words man if this isn't enough God goes on and on and on, and shall pursue you and overtake you until you be destroyed. Because you have not heard the voice of the Lord your God, to his commandments and statutes which he commanded you. And because you did not serve the Lord with joyfulness and with gladness of heart, for the abundance of all things. Verses 45-47 through 47. Oh, what a sad and tragic thing. God has given us so much that we would murmur and complain. God has blessed us plentifully, And we murmur because the new $100 boots that we bought are stiff and we have to break them in. But how about those poor Cambodians who don't even have shoes? Lepers who don't even have feet. I mean, we have so much to be thankful for. And we should be serving God with joyfulness and gladness of our hearts. God loves a happy disposition. God wants you to serve him joyfully, not gripingly. Again, if you can't serve God without griping, then don't serve. If you can't give to God without complaining, then don't give to God. It's an insult to God for you to complain about what you're given to him. What a horrible insult to God. So if you can't give it joyfully, then just don't give it. Don't insult God by complaining about what you've given him or what you've done or had to do for him. It's better just not to do it. Now, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness, you're going to then serve your enemies in hunger and thirst and in nakedness and want of things. And your enemies will pull, put a yoke of iron on your neck till he has destroyed you. And the Lord shall bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose tongues those shall not understand, which is a reference now to the Roman Empire, a nation of fierce continents, which shall not regard the person of the old, nor show favor to the young. And he shall eat the fruit of your cattle and the fruit of your land, and he shall besiege you in all your gates." And in verse 53, God says, you are even going to eat the fruit of your own body. In other words, you'll be so hungry that you'll eat your own children. Verses 48 through 51 and 53. And this is a horrible curse. And it did come to pass in the history of these people as they were driven by hunger to eating their own children. As one of the times is recorded in Second Kings chapter 6 verse 58. If you will not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and fearful name, Jehovah, your God, then the Lord will make your plagues awesome, plague your seed and give you sore sickness of long continuance. And he will bring upon you all the diseases of Egypt and you will be left few in number. Whereas you were as the stars of heaven because you would not obey the voice of the Lord thy God. You see how obedience is woven into the whole thing? If you obey, then consider your blessings. But because you would not obey, because you did not obey, then all the cursing. This is the covenant that God established. God says, all right, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to set this covenant with you. Obey me, follow me. You'll enjoy it. You'll be blessed. Disobey me. Turn from me, and the curses will follow. It's just the covenant by which God gave them the land. And the Lord shall scatter you among all the people, verse 64, from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And you're going to hate life. Life will be very grievous to you. In the morning you will say, I wish it was evening. And the evening you will say, I wish it was morning. Verses 64 and 67. Chapter 29. God continues with this covenant. And these are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel. And Moses called all Israel and said to them, If you have seen what the Lord has done before your eyes in the land of Egypt unto Pharaoh and his servants, the great temptations which your eyes have seen, the signs and those great miracles, yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear unto this day. For I have led you for forty years in the wilderness, your clothes are not old. And your shoe is not old upon your foot. You have not eaten bread, neither have you drunk wine or strong drink, that you might know that I am the Lord your God. Verses 1-6 through So Moses said you have seen these things of God, but they have become commonplace. You don't even see them anymore. Don't you realize that after 40 years, look at your shoes, man. They haven't even worn out. Your clothes are still perfectly good. You have not really been able to plant or to harvest, yet God has taken care of your food. And you came to these kings, Sihon and Og, and God gave them into your hands, and you took their land, and God gave it to you for an inheritance. Keep, therefore, the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do verse 9. Their prosperity was tied directly to their keeping and doing the commandments of God. That is the covenant that God established. Now you stand this day, all of you, before the Lord your God, your little ones, your wives, that you should enter into the covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath, which the Lord your God makes with you this day, that he may establish you today for a people unto himself and that he may be unto you a God, as he has said to you, and he has sworn unto your fathers to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Neither will with you only do I make this covenant and this oath, but with him that stands here with us this day before the Lord our God. For you know how we have dwelt in the land of Egypt, and how we came through the nations which you passed by and you have seen their abominations and their idols. Some of them are wood, some stone, some silver and gold, which were among them, lest there should be among you a man or a woman or family or tribe whose heart is turned away this day from Jehovah, our God to go and serve these other gods of these other nations, lest there should be among you a root that bears gall and wormwood, And it comes to pass, when he hears the words of this curse, that he bless himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of my own heart. To add drunkenness drunkenness to thirst, the Lord will not spare him. But then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man, and all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him verses 10 through 20. Now this is a horrible thing when God's word is given and a person in his own heart contradicts the word of God. When God's word says that you shall not escape the wrath of God, and then you think in your heart, ha ha, that's not true, or I'll escape, or it doesn't apply to me, or whatever. And it's tragic that people will oftentimes say this, When God pronounces a curse, they smile within themselves and they say, it won't happen to me. But in Hebrews we read, in Hebrews 2.3, how shall we escape when we neglect so great a salvation? There is no escape. God's word will be fulfilled. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Yet there are people who are mocking God right now. Keep, therefore, the words of this covenant and do them so that you may be a prosper in all that you do. Now, in verse 24, even all the nations will say, Wherefore hath the Lord done this unto the land? What means the heat of this great anger? And they will say, Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord God of their fathers, which he made. Verses 24 and 25. So in verse 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us, to our children forever, that we, we may do all the words of the law. Deuteronomy 29:29. Again, the doing of the word, the doing of the law. And James exhorted his brethren by saying, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Oh God, let us not become a people that is apathetic. Let us not become a people that turns our back to the the Lord God who created us. Father, give us strength in this dark time that we are going through right now. Father, with COVID and with the hurricanes and Lord, with global warming, as though you didn't have control of the planet. Father. Let us be strong in you. And let us burn for your word. Let our hearts just overflow with grace and mercy and love for every person that walks this earth. Father, let us be salt and light so that other people might see your grace and your mercy through us as we walk through this world, so as you walked through this world. Jesus we love you, give us strength, and forever let your mercy fall upon us. In Jesus name we pray, Amen. (music)